1 John 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray together. Lord, we we desire this complete joy. Lord, we desire this fullness of joy, this perfected joy in your presence. And God, we thank you that in order to commune with you, we don't need to do some great thing. Your word says that you have manifested yourself to us. And so God, in this time together, I pray that we would rest in your presence. Lord, that we would receive your presence. That you would give us faith to believe, hearts to understand. Lord, a desire to receive this this word of life and to receive all that it means for us. God, we pray that you would teach us and lead us today by your word, by your truth, by your power. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I did a little research this week, and I found that in 2006... Axe Body Spray sold $71 million worth of bottled teenage angst. You guys remember, you remember this stuff. If you weren't personally a user, uh, you certainly knew someone. You had a friend or a child or, or a grandchild who certainly did. Uh, they constantly seemed to be enveloped by a, a cloud of, of chemical aromatic fragrance. Uh, it's like those, you remember those uh, Pepe Le Pew cartoons where they seem, they, they see he was preceded by his aroma before, you know, they would knock on the door and you could almost smell them outside the door before you even opened the door. I'm sorry, I don't want to knock it too much, but... Uh, the funniest thing in, in all, like in that era, like my generation was the generation of Axe body spray. I never heard anyone say to someone wearing it, like, you smell really nice. <laughs> like no one, no one remembers Axe body spray with fondness. Um, but then why was it so successful? $71 million in one year. Why was Axe body spray so successful? It's because they weren't selling a fragrance. They weren't selling a product. They were selling an experience. See, Axe Body Spray, through their advertisements, made an entire generation of men everywhere feel that if they doused themselves in this canned scent, they would instantly be irresistible to women. You've seen the commercials. You've seen the ads in newspapers. Right Today, if a company wants to be successful, they can't just sell a product. They have to sell an experience. Think of the way product advertising has changed over the years. If you watch an old car commercial, you'd probably see 
an all-American family driving in this car while a voice over the, the, the TV is telling you about all of the specs, all of the facts about this car and, and touting the awards that this car has won because they want you to know that their product is better than their competitor's product. But today, if you watch a car commercial, you see on screen how fun or how safe that car is to drive without words actually verbally telling you because they no longer appeal to you by the product, but the experience that that product will give you. Every successful company has, has learned from old cigarette and beer commercials. You put the most beautiful people having the most fun experience on TV, and then you will sell the most products. We live in a culture that's driven by experience. We live in a culture that's fueled by this desire to sense, this desire to encounter and acquire. And so like a community, we're like, we're like black holes just sucking in every experience that we can financially afford. And so often we're satisfied for a moment. We receive the dopamine injection for a moment. We get that little thrill, but only for a while until that joy wears off and we're, we're left wanting a new experience. We're left wanting something different, something bigger, something better, something new. But our text today calls us to encounter an experience, to have an experience that is, is able to ultimately culminate in completed joy and an experience that, that doesn't need to be replaced, that doesn't need to be it doesn't need to, we don't need to have a new one, a better one to keep experiencing, to keep sensing that joy. See, experiences, after a while, they're just, they're, they're obsolete, obsolete and you need a new one. But this experience is something so much greater that every other experience we have is just heightened by having had this one. See, the Apostle John in 1 John recounts for us his experience of Jesus. He heard him. He saw him with his eyes. He, he touched him with his hands. He had a real life sensory experience with the transcendent creator in real time and in real history. He had a real encounter with God. And while this is incredible for John, the most incredible thing about his experience is that he believes that we are able to share with him in that experience. That we are actually able to have this same encounter with God. In fact, he wants us, he invites us into this same experience. And this is good news because what John wants for us is what our hearts need today. We long to experience something of real beauty and value. But why do we have this craving for experiences? See, deep down, the desire for experience is rooted in the quest for meaning. We have a, a desire to find meaning. This world has so much to offer. 
And so the more beauty, the more adventure we can consume, we believe the more meaning and value we have to contribute. The more interesting we will be at social gatherings, the more, the more interesting we will be, the more desired we will be in communities, the more experiences we have to share with others, the more we have to talk about. We believe that these experiences deep down give us meaning. And this is why people succumb to the new phobia of the day, right? The fear of missing out, right? This is why I stay awake at night well beyond the time that I should have uh, because if I go to sleep, who knows what I'll miss? Like who knows what could happen, even if it's just like a moment with my wife or a funny joke, like I'm just there like some dummy asleep while the world goes on without me. Like, what am I going to miss? This is also why people, many people, especially in younger generations, are, uh, there's this allergy to making plans. Have you noticed this? Like you're trying to make plans with people and they're not saying it, but they are saying it. They're like, I'm going to kind of wait and see if something better comes up because I don't want to miss out on a better opportunity. And so we don't make plans. We don't commit to things. So the reason many of us are afraid to miss out is because it's easy to fall into the trap of defining ourselves by our experiences. And if we miss out on an opportunity, it can't be made up. Like there's no instant replay. It's like watching a little league baseball game on TV or instead of a game on TV. I literally had this moment yesterday at my son's baseball game where the umpire made a call that I thought was wrong. And, uh, and I'm learning learning to just let it go. They're eight-year-olds. Just, just, let it, just let it go. But I had this moment at the game yesterday. I was like, well, I'm just going to wait for the replay. And then I realized, like, I'm on a Little League field. There's no, there's no replay. Some mom had a camera somewhere. Like, I need to find that person to justify myself in believing that this call was wrong. But if we miss out on an opportunity, it can't be made up. We can't like experience it again. And so we walk around just consuming thrill after thrill or purchase after purchase. And yet we're not changed. We have no more meaning or value than we did before. See, some of you may know or believe that, okay, it's not the experiences that we're after, but the opportunity to share experiences with one another. Maybe that's one of your love languages, right? That, that, uh, uh, that quality time, that shared experience. C.S. Lewis said, it's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. See, this is because we not only strive to, to give meaning to our lives through our experiences, but the desire to share our experiences is a quest for community. There's something beautiful about sharing an experience with someone that you love, whether it's within a romantic relationship or a group of friends. An experience is able to bond and unite people. This is why some of the most tight-knit communities are formed around a, some of the most powerful experiences, whether good or bad. Think of those who have served in war together. They've encountered something so powerful, something so significant in their lives, and they've experienced it together 
that they have this, this fraternity, this, this brotherhood, having gone through something together. And so the more important an experience is to you, the greater the bond you will have with those who share in it. But sharing our experiences can become just as much of an addiction as experiencing the things ourselves. And this is what we see in social media. I was at a coffee shop this week and I saw a young woman for 10 minutes try to get the best picture of herself with her coffee in the coffee shop so that she could post it to social media. And it's funny, but the irony is that I guarantee after 10 minutes, the coffee was not as hot as it was before and her actual experience of it was hindered because of her desire to share an experience with people who aren't there. They're not, they're, they're not your friends. <laughs> they, they, they don't care as much as you think they should about your coffee or the latte art that you didn't even make. It was the barista that did it. And you're like, oh, look how awesome I am with this coffee I didn't, I just paid for. Sorry. There are, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people who want to like uh, capture the moment and people who want to enjoy the moment. You're, if you're, you only know the difference between these two kinds of people if you are an enjoy the moment kind of person because the other people are trying to hinder your enjoyment by saying, hey, get together for a photo. I got to post it. And so oftentimes our desire to, to, our addiction to share the experience, to build a community that isn't actively present around us is, 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 a, is a desire to, it, it actually hinders our, our enjoyment of the experience. Now, it's easy to get frustrated with culture. It's easy to laugh at it, right? But it's heartbreaking. Our culture is so fragmented. People are so isolated and desperate for meaning and desperate for community. The best we can do is consume experience and show as many people as possible what we've done so we can build as much value and meaning as we can for ourselves. And it's heartbreaking because what we need is not more experiences. What we need is an encounter so powerful, so meaningful, so unifying, that it doesn't just make it into our social media feeds. It makes its way out in every aspect of our entire lives and every single relationship. An experience so great that like the Apostle John, we're still amazed for it amazed by it throughout the rest of our lives. John walked with Jesus for three years, and he writes this letter after decades of reflecting on what he encountered in Christ, and he is just as thrilled, just as amazed, if not more so, after having time to actually consider what it was he heard, what it was he saw, what it was he felt, the, 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 the chest of whom he reclined upon the night before Jesus was crucified. He had a real beautiful encounter with Jesus and he's still blown away by it. I want to be like John at the end of my life, still amazed by what we've seen in Jesus. I want Reality Carpenteria decades from now to be, to be even more delighted in the presence of Jesus than we are today having had time to reflect and time to, to further experience the depths of who God is. This is beautiful. 
Now, this experience that we're invited into, it's not just some random experience that John thinks it's pretty cool. It's, it's the, this is the experience that we need. This is the experience that we need because John had an encounter with God. What we need is to encounter God. See, it wasn't just a dream that John had. It wasn't just a vision that John had. Like many of the Old Testament prophets had. They had these, these theophanies, these, these visions of, of, of God, Isaiah's vision of God in the temple, right? These, these beautiful things. But this wasn't just some vision. It wasn't just an appearance of God. It was in real time, in real space, the transcendent and eternal Son of God had taken on flesh. And John and the rest of the disciples, they, they walked with him for years and they heard him and they saw him announce, or they heard him announce forgiveness of, of sins. They saw him heal and cast out demons and raise the dead and they, and they touched him. John, Jesus had, had washed John's feet. They'd had this experience with him, and he spent a lifetime reflecting on it. But he didn't only have an encounter with God. What we learn in our text is that John maintained communion with God. See, he talks about his experience not just in past tense, but in the present tense. He says, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Our fellowship is with, not was with, His fellowship is with the Father. It's a continual fellowship, a perpetual communion. John's not just talking about something that happened once or even several times over the period of years or over the period of a lifetime. He has a present, ongoing communion with God because of what they had encountered decades before. And here, John invites us into our own encounter with God. See, John didn't just experience something beautiful. He's sharing something beautiful, not just a story that he experienced in his life, but something that we are invited into. He's not just, he's not just sharing a great uh, recommendation for a burger joint or, uh, or, or a great book, right? It's fine. It, it is okay for you to not share every meal you've ever eaten with people on your social media. But what John is sharing is much more like the cure for a disease, right? You don't have to share your lunch. But if you've got the cure for cancer and you don't share it, that is a crime against humanity. John has the cure for the disease of sin to to save us from the penalty of hell. And he must share it. Not just, hey, I have this, but you can have this too. You can have this same experience, this experience that we need. See, when we're so driven by a desire to experience all the world has to offer, the encounter that we need is with the one who transcends the world. We need an encounter with God. And John knows the power of this. And the same encounter is available to us today through faith. Now, it's really tempting to hear this. It's really tempting to say that though we may not encounter Jesus with our senses, though we may not hear him or see him or touch him with our hands, even still, our experience with Jesus is just as real. It's very tempting to say that. But I think it's wrong. I think it's flat 
wrong. It is not wrong to say that our experience is just as real. Right? It's wrong to say that we will not hear him or see him or touch him. You see, I believe the scriptures teach that through faith, all of us today can have a real, tangible experience with the transcendent creator that is manifest in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because John says that by receiving his proclamation, that we are in fellowship with him and he is in fellowship with God. And this means through faith, we are invited into communion with God. And the way we experience God is in the story of Jesus and through Christian fellowship. You see, John is not simply writing about his experience. He's not simply sharing what he experienced. So you would think highly of him. He's not trying to create meaning for himself or to make you admire or love him. John is sharing with us the word of life so that by receiving it, we might receive a life-changing communion with God. John is offering us today the power for a life with God. What scripture teaches, what Jesus has made available, what the Holy Spirit can empower in you today is a life-changing encounter with God, the power for a life with God. The good news of Jesus is not that by doing some great thing, you can experience communion with God. The good news is that God has done a great thing to experience communion with you. Do not leave here thinking that you need to muster up some ability or some strength to ascend to God. Leave here knowing that God has descended to you and done everything necessary to be reconciled with you so that all you must do is believe and to receive this same encounter with him. If we want to hear him, If we want to see him and experience him as John did, we must first believe that he has heard our cries, that he has seen our pain, our affliction, and he has reached out and received our very weakness and took our sin into himself so that our sin could be forgiven and we could have a life with God. This transcendent creator, over and above, greater than all the world, doesn't require us to transcend this world, to encounter him as every other religion will teach. He has descended to us. He was brought low. He came to our world in order to bring us into communion with himself. And the power for this life with God, John says, is that the word of life was made manifest. The word of life was made manifest. This word, uh, this phrase, word of life, is an incredibly important aspect of John's theology. See, in the Gospel of John, written by this same author, he talks about the word, and the word refers to Jesus. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. You see the similarities between John's gospel and John's letter? 
It's because John wants you to see a correlation. He, he wants you to connect the two works. He wants you to connect the two writings. But the interesting thing is that in the Gospel of John, the word is personal. It's he, him, his. But here in 1 John 1, the word of life is impersonal. Grammatically, it's not a, it's not a who or a whom. It's an it. Now, John did not like become enlightened and decide he was going to de-gender Jesus in his later years by removing the masculine pronoun and calling him it. That's not what he's doing. He's doing something significantly more remarkable. See, Jesus is the Word. And the Gospel is the good news of Jesus. It is a Word about the Word. So Jesus is the Word. The Gospel is the good news about Jesus. It is the Word that gives life. And so by receiving the proclamation of the Word about the Word through faith, by receiving the proclamation about Jesus through faith, we actually receive Jesus himself. This isn't like any other truth you've learned in school where you have to lodge it in your memory and you're going to be tested on it later. When you stand before God, he's not going to give you a pop quiz. This isn't some some knowledge that we receive just like every other knowledge, but by receiving it, by, by letting it dwell in you, by receiving that it is true and trusting in it by faith, you not just receive a truth, you don't just receive a word, you receive the Word. You receive the incarnate Word. You receive the Word become flesh. You receive Jesus. And when we receive Jesus Himself, we receive life. The Word that gives life, gives us life by receiving the Word that is life. This is what John is doing. It's amazing. It's beautiful. See, the the reason many people don't experience God in the way that they would like to experience God, or the reason that they don't feel as near to God as often as they would like to feel near to God, is often because we reduce God to someone that has the ability to make us feel something. God does have the ability to make us feel something, but we can't reduce him to that. Okay, if you're married, your spouse is not someone that has been reduced to to a person that's able to make you feel something. Your children are not just little people running around who are able to make you feel something. Your best friends don't exist to make you feel something. God doesn't exist to make you feel something. Right? That's not who he is. And so people, they believe that if God loved them, then this God would make them feel happy or feel loved or feel like everything in life is going to be okay when we look at the news and know that's not true. We want him to make us feel something. And we reduce God to a drug dealer, right? Some pill pusher with uppers and downers and hallucinogenics to put just like colored on things and make everything look better and feel better. That's not who God is. He's the eternal, transcendent, creator God. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And he was made manifest. 
He came into the world. He took on flesh and he walked this world. He became a human. And so if we want to experience God, we first have to believe that he took on flesh and revealed himself to humanity so we would know him and experience eternal life with him. All we need to do is receive the word that John proclaims to us today. But many people demand that God give them some experience, that God prove himself to them. Give me the experience that I want, God, and then I'll believe. But it's like trying to taste food without eating. You literally, you cannot taste it unless you put it in your mouth and chew and swallow. And so the desire to experience something from God without actually tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, as the scriptures say, without actually believing, it's not possible. And so maybe you're here today and you're like, I want this. I would love to to feel that fullness of joy, to have an experience that I don't need to keep chasing all of these other experiences. And if God gives me that experience, then I'll believe. It's the wrong order. It's not going to happen. Can't taste without eating. But maybe today, maybe today what what you're experiencing is like walking into a kitchen with, with a meal being prepared and you can smell it. And you're here among the community of faith, people who believe, you're hearing worship, you're experiencing this, this, this preaching of the word that, that has the ability to give life and give good things. And maybe you smell it and you're like, yeah, I would like that. Well, you got to eat. You got to believe. You put your faith in Jesus. You will taste and see that the Lord is good. If you're finding it difficult to experience God, you shouldn't be surprised to learn that you might not be believing God. Not necessarily believing in him, that he exists, but trusting in him for your fullness of joy. Trusting in him as your peace, as your provider. Believing what the scriptures say about him are true. See, so often we live the Christian life trying to repent of sin. If I just do the right, the good things, I know this is bad, so I'm not going to do that thing. I'm going to do this thing. But what we need to do is repent of the lies that we believe. That we know what the scriptures teach, that God is good, that God is generous, that God provides, that God loves, that God forgives, that God heals, all of these things. And yet we live as though they're not true because deep down we don't believe they're true. We're struggling to believe the truth about God. So the reason we don't experience those things about God is because we're not actively trying to uproot the lies that we believe and trusting in the truth that Scripture teaches. And so we shouldn't be surprised to find that we're not believing God. We're not trusting that His Word is true. We're not believing that He is who He said He is. And if you're not trusting the Word of life, you're not going to experience the life that the Word provides. The power for life with God is found in receiving the word of life, believing the gospel. But then this life is experienced in the community of faith. This life is experienced in the fellowship 
with believers. John says that our fellowship is with him and his fellowship is with God. John's not putting a degree of separation between you and God, like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Like John told this dude about this dude and then they told that person. And so like, I, like I'm, I've got a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend named Jesus. That's not it. But by being in communion with someone who is in communion with someone, we're in communion together. And so John is inviting us into this. If you've removed yourself from the community of faith or have isolated yourself from the church, don't be surprised that your fellowship with God will be hindered. Have you ever watched a comedy, like a movie or a TV show by yourself? And it's funny, but you don't really laugh out loud. And then you watch it with friends of the same like sense of humor and you're like bursting at the seams. You ever have this experience? Movies are funnier oftentimes when you watch it with other people who also think it's funny. And so if you've removed yourself from the community who loves and is enthralled by Jesus, don't be surprised if you're not as enthralled. Right? The community of faith stokes the fires of faith. And we have communion with God together. The life of faith is most fully enjoyed in the community of faith. The church is called the body of Christ. So quite literally, if you want to be in the presence of Jesus, you need to gather with the church. It's not about the building. Right? This is a warehouse. Now, this was a lemon packing facility. Nothing special about this building. But when the body of Christ gathers together, this place is a sanctuary. This place is a temple of the Holy Spirit. This place is, is, is where God dwells. Whether we gather here or elsewhere, we have the assurance that Jesus promised in our text from last week that he is with us always, even to the end of the age. See, one of the reasons I'm so excited for us to study the book of 1 John together is because John describes not only who God is and what he has done, but he describes who we are and how we ought to live in light of it. And though I believe the gathering of the body of Christ together on Sundays is a crucial part of what it means uh, as, to live as the community of faith, it's still only a part It's a a fraction of it because it is possible to attend church without being the church. It's possible to come in here and experience all that the community of faith has to offer. And you get home and it's like, well, that was fun. I'm not going to think about it until next week. And then midweek, some like tragedy happens, some difficult thing happens. But because you're not actively communing in fellowship with other Christians, you don't have the support of the community of other Christians, to be the body of Christ, to come and be the presence of God to you, to to, to comfort you and to encourage you or to rejoice with you. If you've removed yourself from the community of faith or isolated yourself from the church, your fellowship will be hindered. And so I'm excited to get into the book of, of 1 John to be the people of faith, to experience the life of faith. Because God's church isn't a collection, a loose assortment of, of individuals, but it's its own 
organism. It has its own life, and the blood that flows through our veins as a church is the very blood of Christ. And so throughout this series, I'm committed to not only calling you to faith, but calling you to community, to calling you into fellowship with one another. And though that may play out in really strong relationships with a few individuals, it does not neglect the whole family, the whole body, the whole community. It does not neglect the community of faith at other churches. Right? But the capital C church, the, the, the global church, all believers everywhere, because our fellowship is with God and their fellowship is with God, we have fellowship one with another. And so we are going to be called to community, to experience this life with God. I want to close our time with this. John says that this fellowship with one another and with God will ultimately culminate in the fullness of joy that there is a completed joy, a perfected joy. The same word for fullness of joy is translated perfected, completed, fulfilled. Right, this this experience that ultimately culminates in the fullness of joy in in such an experience-driven culture, Jesus offers you more than an experience the experiencing that many people think they are after is only a shadow of what God wants to give. See, Jesus in John 10.10 says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so often we think of that, that abundant life, as all being future. Right? Like God came so that I may have life and have life abundantly, that when I die, then I will live. But that's not what Jesus says. I came that you may have life and life abundantly. That abundant life in Christ begins the moment you first believe. It is also future, but it is not only future. And so it's available today through faith and we enjoy it together today through our fellowship. You can hear and see and encounter and touch. You can have a real tangible experience with the risen Christ in real time and space. But we will ultimately, when Christ returns, we will see him face to face. We will hear his well-done, good, and faithful servant. We will be able to throw ourselves into his embrace. And our joy will ultimately, fully, finally be made complete in that we're not walking in the tension between that joy and the pain in this world. But the pain of this world will be washed away. Every tear will be wiped away. Every Every, every, it's all sorrow and pain and death gone and all we will be left with is joy. All that we will be left with is the peace of his presence. Yes, that's future, but it's today too. Christian, if you have believed the gospel, that peace is available 
to you. Don't let the lies of the enemy or the lies of the culture creep in and distract you from that. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus and you're saying, I would love that encounter and if God does that, then I'll give him my life. Can't taste without eating. You have to taste and see that the Lord is good. You need to receive it on faith and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you that communion with the Father that you've longed for your entire life from the moment you first believed. All you have to do is receive. That's what we're going to spend the rest of our time together doing. I'm going to close in prayer. The worship team is going to come up. They're going to lead us in song. The prayer team is going to be available. Communion is available in front. This, this physical, tangible reminder, the bread and the cup. It's called communion for a reason. Because we are tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. That his body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. And because of that, we have communion with God. And because we do it together, we have communion with one another. Okay, we don't only have this communion on Sundays. But this time is really special on Sundays. When the body of Christ is gathered together, we've received from his word, we've received the preaching of the gospel, and we get to respond because God is that good. He is that beautiful. He's that perfect and generous. He's that lovely. He's that all-consuming power of joy. That's why we lift our hands together. That's why we, we lift our voices together. That's why we do it together. Because, yeah, you can do it on your own. But that life, that, that, that the, the life is most fully enjoyed. Your, the life that your faith brings is most fully enjoyed when celebrated together as the community of faith. And so that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time doing together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you, God, that though you are high above the earth, or as high as the, the heavens are above the earth, your, your very thoughts are above our thoughts. Lord, you are transcendent and beautiful. You spoke the world into existence. And yet we were made for you, made for communion with you. And though our sin has broken that, you have restored it. So thank you, Jesus for inviting us into this intimacy, to invite us into this, this, this ex not just an experience, not just an encounter, but to invite us into the life that you give. We just want to worship you, Lord. We want to praise you. We want to respond to these things, Lord. And I do pray that if there's anyone here who's been struggling to experience your presence, your favor, your blessing, the joy that you give, God, I pray that you would take these words that have just been coming out of my mouth and that you would uniquely package it for these people, Lord, and deliver it to them so that they might experience it in the way their heart needs, God. You know what they need. I pray that you would give faith to taste and see that you are good. Give faith to not just stare at the meal, not just smell the meal, but to eat, 
to drink deeply, to be refreshed and to be fulfilled, to be satisfied, Lord, satisfied in you and you alone. God, we give you this time and ask that you would continue working among us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.